Well, thank you. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, so excited. We're in this series called Jesus is King. And this is the Christmas story that there was a nation and a world that was waiting for a king to show up, and he did. And we are excited about it. I can't even begin to describe how excited and moved I am about what God's doing in our church right now. Anybody else excited about that? Come on. You know, this whole idea was spurred on just by this cultural phenomenon uh, by Kanye West, Jesus is King. How many of you have heard of Kanye West? All right, most of us at this point. Good. How many of you heard of Jesus is King by Kanye West? Let's go. And so he, he, here's what's crazy about this, right, is, this, is that, uh, man, Kanye West releases this album, um, Jesus is King, along with a lot of other things, and immediately he breaks all kind of records. He's at the, you know, he's got all top number one spots in five different Billboard charts. He has got um, all 11 of his songs are in the top 200 of the Billboard 200. Um, Jesus is King has been Googled more times in history, according to Google, since the release of Jesus is King. And so what a great way to start the conversation. And so we just wanted to be able to kind of lean in, start the conversation. It's an awesome opportunity for you to say, hey, have you heard Kanye West's Jesus is King album? Um, like some of you who have kids that aren't believers, you should ask them that question, and they will be impressed, and they will follow Jesus just because you know that. But we know that, man, but the question and kind of what we've been unpacking in the series is just this idea is like, what kind of king is Jesus? Like if Jesus is king, and we're not completely used to kings and how that works. We have presidents and not kings. But, but what, is it, what kind of king is he? What does he want for my life? What would be his vision for his kingdom? How would I play a part in that? How is it relevant in my life? And one of the ways that you know what a leader, a king, a president, whatever, is, uh, is about in their vision is, is by kind of their inauguration speech. For a king, it would be a coronation speech. For us, we're familiar with a presidential inauguration speech. You know, we all tune in to the inauguration every four years when it happens. And we want to hear, hey, what's the plan? What's the vision? What's the big pieces that you want to put in place? And so a couple of them that maybe some of us remember. One uh, that was two of the most famous. One was uh, JFK's inauguration speech in 1960. You know, when he became president, he was the youngest president to be elected at that point in history. And he, he comes into a nation that was bitterly divided. You know, that does happen outside of today's times, by the way. It's not always just now. And uh, they were divided, and it seemed like there was this passing of the torch, that there was this passing from the old guard to the young guard. And what uh, President Kennedy wanted to do is he wanted to unite the country. And so he begins to paint this picture of what it would look like for the country to be united, to have this common vision for a greater purpose other than our own personal gain. And I think most of us know this famous quote from JFK. It says, ask not what your country can do for, new, for you, but what you can do for your country. And in that statement, he painted a picture, a vision of what he wanted to see happen in our country. You know, another pretty famous one was by FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, back, he became president back during the Great Depression. And, um, and if any of you maybe, you, maybe your grandparents went through the Great Depression, and as you go through their house, they have coffee cans full of money stashed places. Um, because when you went through the Great Depression, you hung on to everything. They would have big boxes of screws and paper clips because they didn't want to get rid of anything, right? They held on to things because they didn't know how long they would have them or if they would able to be, be able to get some more. And Roosevelt wanted to be able to paint a picture, hey, life can continue. We need to move forward. We need to expand. We need to buy things. We need to purchase things. We can't hold back because that's not good for anybody. And in that, we had his famous quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And in that statement, he paints a picture of the future, of, the, of what his desire would be for the nation. And so today what we want to do is, is as Jesus stands up for the first time, and as Jesus says the first words that we know of publicly and the first words, the first sermon that's recorded in the Bible, like what is his vision for people like me and you? 
Like, what is this vision for people who are, you know, married with kids or single and working? And like, what is this picture? What is this vision? So we're going to unpack that over the rest of our time together. So let's grab our Bibles. We'll be in Luke chapter 4. We'll be in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 16. Luke chapter 4. Um, we're going to start in verse 16. Um, we'll have it on your screen. Also, you can always grab a paperback or go to an app or something like that. Let me give you a little context as to what's happening. So Jesus is 30 years old. You know, he's over the hill. Uh, Jesus is 30 and hasn't even started yet. And Jesus is just now getting started. And what he's been doing is God has been preparing him for the ministry that he's going to lead and eventually, obviously, to his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he has been being prepared, and now his time has come, and he's about to step into the world stage. And it's not going to be with a lot of fanfare. There's not a lot of social media. He won't be broadcast worldwide. But the effects are going to be felt more than any person in history. Now, the way a church service would have worked for Jesus, and this is kind of the, he's in the synagogue, his first speech, is, is there would have been, it, it was very structured. You know, the very first piece would have been, someone would have recited a piece of the Old Testament called the Shema. They would have recited that. Then there would have been a reading from the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. Then there would have been another reading. Someone else would have got up and read from what's called the prophets, another section in the Old Testament. Then there would have been an explanation of how all that made sense. Then there would have been a benediction. And when it lasted exactly 60 minutes, because we know that's God's number for church service, right? Um, And so Jesus is now here in in the synagogue. And this is about to take place. He's in a synagogue, and they're about to have this service. So verse 16, it says, He, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he is at the part in the service where reading from the prophets. Okay, He's reading from the prophets. This is his role to read. And it says, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. See, now this is very important. He, he found the place. So he didn't just unroll it to what was maybe the prescribed reading for the day. He didn't just open it up to the first thing. He unrolls it to a place in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. It's it's almost to the end of Isaiah. It's very intentional about what he was reading. Why? This is his coming out party. He's got some words he wants to say. He wants to be sure everybody gets it. I can only imagine how long it's going to take to unroll the scroll to almost the end. Don't you know people were like, Jesus, lunch, come on. But Jesus unrolls and he begins to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Mic drop. No explanation. Right? Remember, that's what's supposed to come next. All the synagogues, their eyes were fixed on him. And because they're staring at him, he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's me. That's all the explanation you get. That's all he says. I'm, I'm the one who this was written about. Now, the power of this comes from exactly what passage he was reading. In the, in the prophets, there are these passages that are called messianic prophecies. And a messianic prophecy, obviously, is a prophecy about the Messiah. Okay, and the Messiah was the anointed one. And in that culture, they anointed kings. So Jesus has just read a prophecy about the king who's coming 
And he said, that's me. I'm the king that's just shown up. Now, for some, a Jew in that culture who would have heard him reading, immediately when he, <coughs> when he began reading this passage, they would have recognized that it was a prophecy about the Messiah. And their minds would have immediately gone back to their families and their heritage where the nation of Israel had been held in bondage, that they were in Egypt and led out in, into the promised land. And then they didn't follow God's boundaries, and so they end up in and uh, they end up deported into many different areas of the world. Their villages get destroyed. And every time that happened, they would always cling to these promises of a Messiah that was coming. And there were over 127 of these in the Bible. So when they heard it, they would have just remembered that they had prayed for this. They would have just thought about the times they were held back and burdened down by taxes or destruction and had hoped against hope for a future. So when Jesus begins to read this, it would have stirred something in their soul about the future. And if there was one word that would have characterized their understanding of what he was saying and one word that would have characterized his message and his mission and his vision for his kingdom, and that word is freedom. That word is freedom. That Jesus came to set us free, to set captives free, everyone free. You know, if you were asked to describe what, what the effect of Christianity is and what's the outcome supposed to be, there's a lot of different answers, I would imagine, right? Like you may say, I, I think the effect is to be a good person. And then you're like, I'm failing at that. <laughs> like it's, it's to have good morals. It's to be nice. It's to just uh, help you know, trained in the Ten Commandments. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Those are some good things. I came that you may have freedom. It's for freedom you've been set free. Now, now we love freedom, don't we? Come on, anybody? You like freedom? You live in the United States, freedom? We are a land of the free, home of the braves. <laughs> we love freedom. Man, we want to be free. We don't want to be held back. Like, I think about some of the freedom. We have freedom of religion. Now, we take this for granted, don't we? Like, none of us probably came to church today expecting the Milton P. Diddy show up and shut us down, did we? Nobody? I, I, I was, uh, a few years ago, I had this privilege to teach, uh, preach in a, in a communist country. And so when we're on our way to the church after it's late at night from the airport, and everywhere we went, we'd always take a different route. I never quite understood, understand that. Um, and then every... One out of every four people in this particular country is a government informant. So they're kind of telling what's happening. So the, t the night comes, and I'm supposed to speak, and I'm sitting on the front row kind of where Joey is. And the, the, the pastor who's in charge just kind of comes over during the last worship song because they had the 60-minute rule too. And so he comes, and he whispers to me. He says, hey, I'm not going to introduce you. And just, just get up and start preaching. Just don't, say, don't even say your name. Like, this, this feels bad to me, man. I don't know if I want to, you know, because not everywhere has the freedom. We have freedom of religion. We have freedom of speech. You noticed this before? <laughs> you notice how we fight over the freedom of speech? We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of expression. We have a right to bear arms. Listen, you can get married. You can own property. You just can't paint your house any color you want if you live in a neighborhood. <laughs> Listen, we love freedom. Man, we believe in freedom. And, and the reality is there, we don't want to be held back by anything. We don't want to be captive. We don't want to feel like we got strings attached to us. Have you ever, have you ever been in a conversation and you thought to yourself, they are holding me hostage right now. Like you just want to get out of that conversation. Like I don't like that. Maybe you've been held hostage or captive by somebody's expectations. And certainly those are just some small things. But the reality is Jesus paints a broad stroke about areas where people are held in captive. He talks about uh, 
He starts out with good news to the poor. I mean, anybody who's poor and has a need, good news for them is having enough. People who are poor recognize they have a need. You don't have to show them. And people who are spiritually poor know they have a need for God. He goes on, he talks about um, liberty to the captives. You know, some people are held captive thinking they got to earn their way to God. They got to perform to get to God. They have to follow the rules and the regulations. And every time they break one, they feel like that their life is a mess. He talks about recovery of sight to the blind. People who can't see obviously have no freedom or have limited freedom. Their freedom is different. And so God wants us to have this freedom to be able to see him, that he's good, right? If you're blind, you don't see that God is good. And we talked about darkness last week. We're walking in darkness. And he also talks about those who are oppressed and those who've gone through brokenheartedness where there's been something happened in their life that's held them back and it's caused them to not be able to live fully in the freedom that God has created for them. What, what is it today that is holding you back? If you had to just think through in your own life, what is preventing you from living in freedom, from stepping into God's purposes for your life? You know, for, for many people, it's, it's their past. You know, you, you, maybe in your past you had someone who said something to you, um, you you'll never amount to much, you're not going to be successful, you're lazy, you're ugly, and it just held you back, a word from a parent or a teacher or a coach, and it just continues to have these shackles on you every day when you wake up, and you're not sure exactly what it's going to take. As a matter of fact, you don't even believe it's possible to be free of that. You know, for some people, it's addiction. I can't seem to shake this addiction to what I watch and what I look at or what I, you know, what I take or what I drink, and we can't seem, and it holds us back, and it's the thing we think about all day long. That as soon as we can get to it, we can, and it holds us back from really living in the moment. You know, some people are held back by their potential. And I heard a pastor say this week, there's two gods in the United States, sex and potential. And we spend our days running hard after our potential. Problem with that is you never catch it. When we should spend our time running after God's calling on our life. You know, some people are held back by money. It's like, I just need a little more money at the end of the month. Or I need the next level of income. I need the next level of bonus. I need the next level of title. You know, you know, I think if we're all honest, we're all held captive to other people's opinions of us. Anybody agree to that? Anybody relate to that? Man, when you walk into a meeting and sit down and you're just kind of wondering, what can you say to impress other people? Have you ever had this happen to you when someone says something you completely didn't understand it, but you just shake your head like you did? Yeah, you might be a slave if you did that. And listen, we worry about what we're going to wear and how we're going to impress people, and we spend money that's going to cause us to buy things that hopefully other people will give us value. And the reality is they have no ability to do that because they're not God. We're held back by. Another thing I think that holds us back, have you ever seen somebody held back by scrolling so much? It's funny to watch if you've seen the new, uh, there's a new hazard now that you see people walking down the street scrolling and they run into something and hurt themselves. It's actually pretty funny. And we want to see what people are saying about us or what's happening in the world. We want to think, make it look like we're really plugged in and important. Or maybe we're just insecure at having a real conversation. So we'll just, we'll just sit there and look at that. And we don't really live the life that God's called us to live. And there's so much that holds us back. But God has called us to be free. God wants our heart to be free. God wants our lives to be free. He wants us to see the potential and the possibilities that we can step into. And there's so many times in the Bible, so many places where he just describes this freedom. You know, there's this one place over in the book of Ephesians. I just want to read it for us today. Ephesians was written 
as a letter to a church. And there's a guy named Eugene Peterson who has written, uh, he took the Bible and he wrote it in words that his daughter could understand. It's called the Message Version. Anybody heard of the Message Version? Like a few of you, it's a translation Bible. And it's, and it's a lot more everyday language. And, um, but, but the way he captures this idea of freedom is pretty compelling. It says this, it says, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on his plans that he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything will be brought together and summed up in him, everything in heaven and on earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are, our identity, and what we are living for, our purpose. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for his glorious living, part of the overall purpose that he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed, that you found yourselves home free. Like we're free to walk in the purpose and the uh, work of God in our life. We're free to just enjoy the identity that he's given us. You know, we're free to wake up in the morning and see possibilities and feel the freedom to run after them. And not worry about, hey, what happens if it doesn't work? What if this is the wrong move? Listen, you'll know if it's the wrong move. It'll be very clear. And so many times we spend so, so much time deciding what if and should I and would I. And God's like, if you want to, you have freedom to do that. And we can live in the possibilities. Listen, we are free to love people. You know the only offensive weapon that we have as humans is to love people? Like if we love people, they can never take that away from us. And if we don't allow ourselves to do that, our circumstances end up controlling us. And God wants us to be free to love people. We're free to be at peace even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You know, if many of you have been maybe to some poverty-stricken areas around the world, and what's amazing about those is those kids in those situations who don't even have shoes to wear, they're always happy, aren't they? Man, because their hearts are free. They're free from expectations. They're free from some of the pressures that we face. Man, you're free to be kind to people. Man, you're free to be content with what you have. Man, we are created to be free. And that's what Eugene was just kind of translating for us and what Paul wrote for us. Man, we are free. Now, this has always been the way it was supposed to be. Like, this is the way God created the world is for us to be free. If you remember in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And they said, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Like, take over creation. Name the animals. I don't care. I don't care if it sounds stupid. Just name them. You have freedom. Hey, grow crops and build buildings and look for possibilities and be creative. Use your imagination. And then what happened? There was two boundaries that God put up for us. Don't eat of these two trees and you'll be fine. You have complete freedom. And what happened? We ate the tree that we weren't supposed to. And so what happens is now we view boundaries as barriers and burdens when they're not the same thing. Boundaries and barriers and burdens are not the same things. Boundaries are good. Anybody know that today? Like boundaries are so good for us. We need boundaries in our lives. What can what happen? Well, we need boundaries. So think about this. I've got a I've got a uh, sixteen week. I got a four month old puppy at the house, and I got an eight month old, and they're two golden doodles, right? Anybody else got a golden doodle in here? Come on, right? They're brilliant. They're better than your children, aren't they? Come on. <laughs> and so. 
so my eight-year-old, we got it so my eight-year-old could train the, four, the four-month-old. And so when the four-month-old, when you go out with that dog, it's a leash. It's all the things, right? You know, there's some boundaries you have to put. Now, the eight-year-old, I kind of let her run off a little bit, and she'll come back. She knows, right? She's got more freedom. But eventually, these boundaries will loosen up. Why don't I want to just let my dog run? Because that dog will run in the street and get hit by a car. Or, 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 that dog will chew an electrical cord and short-circuit my entire house electrically. Like, there's something bad that will happen. That's what boundaries do. That's why you give kids boundaries. Isn't that right? Any parents in the room favor, love some boundaries? Grateful for boundaries? Listen, if you have a kid with no boundaries, soon they become a burden. Amen? <laughs> That's what happens. Kids need boundaries. It's how they function. It's how they live. And listen, we need boundaries. What happens, though, is we get older and we don't think we need boundaries anymore. And what happens? We end up in bondage. We don't think we need boundaries. I can drink as much as I want to. It's that first step into letting alcohol control you. Oh, I can take what I want to. I can watch what I want to. And we take our freedom and we use it to just put on another yoke of slavery. God's boundaries are so good for us. Like, think about this. Um, uh, What about financially? Like, financially. Man, we have what's called a budget. It is a fantastic boundary. Like, the barrier to you spending money is not your budget. It is your income. Let's get that clear. The budget provides boundaries for us to be free because inside of that, I can do whatever I want. I can buy uh, whatever I want to buy, right? If I want to buy a shotgun or if I want to buy something for my wife, it's probably a better choice. But, you know, I can do whatever I want. There's boundaries. Listen, in relationship, there's boundaries that we have. We know that we should gossip about people. We should, we should go directly to people that we need to co- have a conversation with. Anybody outside of that, guess what that is? The Bible calls that sin. And we shouldn't do that because it is bad for us, it's bad for them, and it's bad for everybody, right? Man, there's boundaries in, when it comes to sex. And when you break outside those boundaries, guess what happens? Disease and families get destroyed. This is what happens. We have boundaries because they're good for us. And we always need to remember that. Like imagine, imagine a parent adopts, let's say, a, a 13-year-old. Like a kid who's under, who knows that there should be rules and regulations. And the kid sits down and says, okay, tell me what, the, what are the house rules? What can I do? What can I not do? What's my curfew? What can I get away with? What should I never do? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You mean there are no rules? No, no, no. We have rules. But you just go ahead. And if you break one, we'll just punish you. And then you'll know what rules there are. Like that's a very uncertain way to live, isn't it? That's a lot of anxiety to live in. That's a lot of uncertainty. Like, and imagine a king would do that. A king gives his inauguration speech, his coronation speech, and he just casts this vision, and people begin to ask him, so king, what can we do? What can we not do? How far can we go? How do we treat people? I don't worry about it. When you violate a rule, electric chair. We'll work it out. The reason why we have boundaries is because God loves us. The reason why a parent gives a child boundaries is because of love, not restriction. And the reason why God gives us boundaries is because of love. He loves us so much. Now let's talk a little bit about barriers and about burdens for just a second. Now barriers are like a, think of a concrete barrier that prevents you from getting in somewhere. Like if you go to D.C., right, they're everywhere because they don't want cars to roll up in there and do something bad. And so there's these concrete barriers. And there's a barrier in our lives. And it's a barrier between us and God. So what happened is when we broke the boundaries God gave for us, we constructed a barrier where we can't get to God anymore. That God was going to have to, and no matter what we do, we can't work our way back. We can't be good enough to get back. We can't get there. And so what God did was 
to remove the barrier. Now, now this is a pretty cool uh, visual that God gave. In the temple was this veil. It's a large curtain. And on the other side of the veil was the Holy of Holies, the kind of the presence of God. And you couldn't get there. The only people that could go in there were the priests. And the normal average person couldn't go in there. It was a barrier to keep them from God. And that represents sin. Sin keeps us from getting to God. Now, when Jesus, now, how big this thing was, it took over 300 people to carry this. Like, can you imagine putting a curtain in your house that took 300 people to carry in? Like, your pool cover isn't that big. It weighed about four tons. That's 8,000 pounds for those of us who may be mathematically challenged. Like, this thing is massive. It is a massive barrier. Like, a single person's not getting rid of it. When Jesus dies, when he's executed, it says the veil was torn. Maybe you've heard this phrase, the veil was torn. The curtain was torn. And what that symbolizes is we have direct access to God. So we can pray. When I go through difficult times, if I need something, if my family's falling apart, if I have a health challenge or something's wrong with my job or my finances, I get to go directly to God and ask him because I have access. The barrier is removed because of the work that Jesus did for us. Man, there's no barrier. And then, and then there's this thing called burdens. Anybody ever felt a burden before? Anybody ever had something bad happen, a tragedy, a difficulty, and just felt this weight and this burden that just weighed you down? Listen, sin is the primary burden that we all carry. And what it means for our king to give us freedom is he takes that burden and he puts it on himself. And he carries that burden for us. You know, there's a great place in Matthew chapter 11 that talks about this. This is Jesus. It says, come all who labor and are heavy laden. Just with the burdens of life, with the pressures that come with life, with the anxieties that we wake up with in the morning that seem to uh, hang over our heads like a cloud, with the financial pressures that seem to be in front of us. What he says is, listen, I'll give you rest. That is not the final word on you. You can have freedom even in the midst of difficulty, is what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus knew when he came back is that in order to give us freedom, he couldn't, he couldn't establish a political system. There's no political system that can bring freedom, as much as we would like to think there is. You know, there's a horizon on every single government in history. Always has been, always will be, because that's not, it's not the point of government. Hey, economic system, never going to bring freedom. As much as us capitalists would love to think it's the best, It'll never bring freedom. Why? Because it's run by people who aren't free. And Jesus knew that to give true freedom, he had to go to the most basic building block of our world, which is the human heart. And Jesus sets our hearts free. And my mic just went out. Jesus sets our hearts free. So listen, our hearts are supposed to be free. That's why God created us. That's how he's designed us, that we should live in freedom that some of the baggage that we face, some of the messages that we've heard, some of our past that seems to hold us back, man, it's never intended. It's never intended to set us free, man. It doesn't have to hold us back, but Jesus will. This is the message of the gospel, that Jesus came for freedom's sake. You know, he, Jesus said it this way in John chapter eight. He said, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you follow Jesus, he will set you free. And here's why, because he forgives us of our sin. Let's say our sin that would hold us back, our sin that would tend to, uh, put a message in our mind that we aren't good enough. Uh, the sin that we can't seem to overcome, Jesus sets us free. And there's a passage in the book of Romans that says this. You know, Paul's a guy who's writing it, and Paul says, you know, the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I, th- I keep doing them. 
Like, who will free me from this body of death, Paul says. Can anybody relate to that? You do things you wish you wouldn't have done. You get mad when you say, I'm never going to get mad again. You're like, oh, I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm not going to talk about anybody else. Man, I am not going to be frustrated. I am not going to fall to that addiction again. Man, I am not going to be unloving. And for some reason, we can't seem to do it because you have no ability. And the reason, and, and what Jesus does, he sets us free by freeing us from the body of death that comes through sin. And so we have this forgiveness that happens through Jesus. Now, in, in that passage in Luke chapter four, this is pretty cool. So he goes through good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like, would you love to live in the Lord's favor? Would you love to know that God's looking on you just with these eyes of blessing to help you and not harm you, to prosper you and not to, to hurt you? Like, and when, when the Jewish congregation heard this, there's a word that's used for this and it's called jubilee. You heard this word jubilee? Sounds like an old spiritual song. Uh, that we should be singing in church. Let's all say Jubilee together. Jubilee, right? Jubilee. And Jubilee was prescribed in the Old Testament. They never followed it. Like, this is amazing. And this is gonna bother some of our Catholic uh, capitalist sensibilities, but go with me on this. So every 50 years, everything was forgiven. So if you own some land that wasn't originally given to your family, the land went back. If there were some financial debts that were owed, they were erased. If somebody was held as a slave, they were set free. And so as we look at that, what it tells us is that eventually everything belongs to God. Like it all belongs to God. Guess what? My wife belongs to God. As much as I love her and care for her and as good as she is for me, at the end of the day, she's not mine. Your children, guess who they belong to? God. And some of you are really glad right now, I know. Listen, your bank account, whether it's high or low, belongs to God. Your house and your car, it belongs to God. How freeing is that to know it's not yours? Like I can remember back when uh, I first went into ministry and Debbie and I decided to go to seminary, or maybe I did and she was just a great wife and went with me. I don't remember which one it was, but we sold our house Paid off our car, had everything paid for, had no debt. And I can remember sitting in my mom's house watching TV thinking, this is freedom. Because I just had nothing holding me back. I mean, this is how God wants us to live. Man, God wants us to live in freedom. And notice in verse 21, Jesus says, today, not tomorrow, not in the sweet by and by, today. That God wants you to be free today. That God wants you to be free in your relationships Today, God wants you to be free to live today. Man, not tomorrow, not in a month or a year. Today, Jesus came that we could experience freedom. This is the promise of the gospel. You know, there's a great story. It's unconfirmed about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln being the great emancipator that any of us have ever heard of. And the, the guy who, who was able to just navigate the Civil War and to go through those difficult times and to help a nation be not divided and, and the Civil War not to succeed and to help free so many people who were held captive and physically held as slaves. Man, Abraham Lincoln's looked at as the greatest leader in our country. There's books written about his leadership abilities. And there's this story that goes something like this. Abraham Lincoln walks into a slave auction and it's one of the first times he's seen it and he sees a young lady who's being sold and he buys her. And after he purchases her, she, he has a conversation with her and then he says, you're free to go. And she's like, what, what, what do you mean I'm free to go? Like, you just paid for me, and so now I'm going to serve you. And he's like, no, 
No, I, I paid for you so you could be free. And so she begins to keep following him. And he's like, what are you doing? And, he's, and she says to him, you know, if someone would buy me to set me free, that's the person I'd want to follow. And this is the story of the gospel that we should have eyes to see a God who's good. Man, that in the midst of our circumstances in a world that would say he's not, man, that, that God is good. And that the problem is we stepped outside the boundaries. Man, and we didn't believe that he was good and we didn't trust him with our lives. And so sin came into the world and just ruined everything, corrupted everything, including us. But God sent a solution in our King, a God who loves us, who died for us, who paid the price for us to have freedom. Man, the only, the only response is for us to follow him. Like there, there is no other rational response to a God who loves us so much. Hey, where are you held captive today? Like, where is your heart held back? Where is it sad? Where is it just barely trying to catch its breath? What, where is your heart held back today? For some of you, it, you have a barrier between you and God, and it's sin. And you need to follow him today. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's pray together. Now, just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just want to... Take, an take a moment just to help you step into some freedom today. I know that, and there's so many people here that maybe have never experienced what it means to follow Jesus, for the Son to set you free. And the way that that happens is believing God is good and asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and committing your life to follow our King, Jesus, the God who leads us. I just want to lead you in a prayer to do that. If you've never done that, hey, today is your day of emancipation. This is your emancipation proclamation today. Dear God, I've determined my own life. And today I want forgiveness of sin to remove the barrier between me and you. I trust that Jesus died for me to have freedom. And I will follow him today. You know, and maybe there's some other prayers that in your heart that you need to finish that up with. But today, if you did that today, you know what the Bible says? You're free. You can walk in freedom to follow your king. You can walk in the freedom of what it means to have life today. And I would love to help you just put a stake in the ground today, that today would be the day of your freedom, of your emancipation, of Jesus releasing you. So what I want to do is just to ask you to take one small step of victory, but also a huge step of life. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand here in just a second. I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that today to follow Jesus for the first time, I invite you. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. So on the count of three, if you, if you prayed today, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Gotcha. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Hey, let's give it up for those who just raised their hand. That's amazing. Hey, if that was you today, just a minute, I'm going, to keep, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. I'm just going to invite you to go back to the I Raise My Hand table that we can kind of get you in this journey towards freedom. God, I pray for all the hurt and the oppression in the room, for the blindness, Lord, for the difficulties that have been faced, the challenges, man, that we've hit head on, God. Yeah, I'm just reminded in the Christmas season, Lord, that Man, those things that have happened to us are always highlighted. It's a great magnifier. 
And God, that we can still mourn, but we can, we can have freedom. God, we can still have joy. And we can still have life. We can still have love and peace. And so, Lord, we just want to close this service out today just by worshiping you and just making a statement that we're no longer slaves and that we, are, we live in freedom and that the world should see our freedom. And God, they should be drawn to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.